Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Each week, we'll feature a top B2B marketing leader and discuss their revenue-generating strategies. You'll get actionable tips and learn how to accelerate growth through seriously smart marketing. Now it's time to have a look at the proof and get to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. We're your hosts, Gabby and Mike. And this is the B2B Marketing Podcast, where we show you the proof in the form of case studies. And we're going to get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Today, we are excited to have Jason Bradwell with us on the show, and he is our first guest from across the pond. Jason is a senior marketing director for a global enterprise technology brand. He's on a mission to prove B2B doesn't have to be boring with his podcast, B2B Better, which I love that name, and his weekly newsletter, The B2B Bite. And just so that I'm saying this correctly, the, the, the company that you work for is called Delta, Delta. It sounds more French than English. Very close. Delta Trey. It's actually Italian. Ah, Delta. Okay. So I was, I was pronouncing it more with a French name, but it's Italian Delta Trey. Okay. Wonderful. Jason, welcome. Tell us a little bit about Delta Trey and what you're doing there specifically. Well, thanks very much for having me, guys. I'm very excited to be be on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, I am the uh, senior director of of marketing and communications uh, for for Delta Tray. Um, Delta Tray is a global B two B technology company that is behind many of the technological uh, products and solutions that are delivered by uh, the sport and media brands that we all know and love. Some of our customers include uh, Major League Baseball, National Football League, UEFA, FIFA, and, and hundreds of others. We like to say that we are the industry's best kept secret um, in that we have been around for about 35 years, but unless you work in uh uh, the, the the kind of the B2B side of media uh, and sport technology, you'll have never heard of us. And uh, if if you were to pull the plug on Delta Trey, uh, the world of, of sport, media, and entertainment, as you know it, would probably go dark for a little while. Uh, we do everything yeah. from putting cameras into stadiums uh, to measure, you know, where, where players are on the field and kind of track where the ball's going um, to doing you know, online and, and broadcast TV graphics to building websites and apps uh, for these media properties, streaming OTT services um, and strategic consultancy and kind of everything in between. If it's anything to do with getting content from, you know, where it's being created and into the hands of a fan, Delta Tray likely will have a hand in it. So, um, and, and and my role specifically within Delta Tray is, uh, uh, you know, Primarily, kind of content marketing, uh, PR and communications, uh, digital marketing, and product marketing. I've got a fantastic team who work really, really hard uh, that that look after those four areas of the business. That is. Please fun. don't pull the plug on Delta Tray because, <laughs> like, especially now with COVID, people might go completely nuts if they can't watch sports. So. Yeah. Yes. It was a little bit hairy last year uh, when, when the pandemic struck, but you know, the, the industry is incredibly resilient um, and it's seen a lot of transformation in the last couple, in the last 12 months that was happening in terms of how kind of sport media entertainment is produced and distributed, but it was just greatly accelerated because it had to be. And um, very fortunate to see a lot of amazing transformation in the space right now. That is fantastic. And it's an area of 
sports and sports marketing that I think you're right, Jason, a lot of people don't think about that. You know, if you're a sports enthusiast, you care about the game, you want to see the game, you want to see your players out there on the pitch and kicking the ball or throwing the ball, depending on the sport. But you don't really think about the technology that powers that and that kind of goes beyond that, which is which is actually quite fascinating. Uh, Not to stir the conversation too far off off base but um my dad is a big fan of the epl and he's constantly amazed at how the technology has changed he was a soccer player he was a coach he he played you know minor league stuff not not major of course uh but that's one of the things that he always zones in on is oh look they're gonna do the replay and oh the video camera's there and so on and so forth so it's a fascinating part of the sport that um that I'm very excited to hear more about from Delta Trey. And I know that you have a wonderful case study that you're going to share with us today. And it's about podcasting, which is very meta because we're on a podcast and we're going to talk about podcasting. So let's dig right in. Tell us about this case study that you have for us today, Jason. Absolutely. So, you know, being B2B marketers, one of the bread and butter pieces of content marketing that we can do uh, is the creation of client testimonials in the form of case studies, right? You go to any B2B company's website that's, you know, worth its weight in salt, and you will see a case study or a testimonial sitting on the homepage talking about how how great that company is and, and how it's helped that customer solve a problem. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. You know, there's, there's a lot of data out there to suggest that, um, you know, B2B buyers who, you know, are putting a lot of money on the line in order to bring in a solution, you know, relatively more than you would be as a consumer. Um, and then in turn, putting effectively their job on the line, because if you're talking about a multi-million dollar contract that you get wrong, you know, that's that's very different to buying a chocolate bar you don't like and throwing it away and no one's uh, ever going to hear about it. You know, they want proof that someone has trodden the path before them, one of their contemporaries, one of their competitors, one of their peers in the space. And that's why client testimonials are so effective for for B2B companies like Delta Tray and others. You know, what you sometimes find in certain B2B industries is that securing that testimonial is not as easy as just asking the customer and, and getting on and creating the content, right? That's that's the fun part. You know, when you're working in industries like sports, um, where where, where, where sport properties, rights owners and rights holders are being paid by by brands to sponsor that sport that sport property um, to to pay for the right to have that association from the sport rights owner uh, rights holder point of view, you know why would they give one of their tech vendors who are paying the, who they're paying you know uh, for a technology solution the right to go out and use their name and likeness um, in order to to promote that technology vendor's services you know and it's to- it's totally right and it's to- it totally makes sense and it's absolutely fair um, you know you see the same in kind of government work as well you know mm-hmm. g- governments cover uh, government bodies don't want you know people to know who they're working with um, and 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 you know this is a problem that's shared in a lot of different industries so then as a B2B marketer, you're kind of faced with a little bit of a conundrum because, I'd you know, say. You, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, you, you, you know, we talked about, you know, Delta being the, the, the industry's best kept secret. You know, if, if we could go out and we could talk about all these amazing clients that we work with and, and what we do, it would be the easiest job in the world for me. I always say that because, you know, the caliber of clients that we work with and, and what they're doing in the space is just phenomenal. But 
you know, as I mentioned, yeah, a lot of companies are paying a lot of money for the rights to yeah. to go out and make that association. So, yeah, we're faced with a conundrum. How do we build that social proof? Um, how do we build credibility? Um, and how do we build trust with our potential buyers that uh, Delta Tray has tr- has has delivered a large scale solution um, of the type they're looking for in the past without a kind of conventional case study. So one of the things that we we did here at Delta Tray is that we looked at a podcast, um, which we launched uh, at the tail end of 2020 called Feel to Fan. And Feel to Fan is around a 30 to 45 minute podcast that I host um, with technology partners and uh, brands and rights holders and rights owners in our space. And we talk about what's happening in the industry. And we found that uh, a very effective tool for us to at least start a conversation with some of our clients who previously had closed the door on any kind of co-marketing activities to at least appear with us in a public setting to, you know, talk about what we're seeing in the space. You know, that was great for us because it meant that we could build that association with some of our clients and partners in the space who previously didn't want to, you know, couldn't, you know, their hands were tied commercially um, to, to, to make that kind of public association because we flipped it on its head. We made it not about us, you know, hey, come and tell our story, Delta Trace story um, and how we've helped you, but come and tell us about what you're doing and what you're seeing in the space and how you're transforming the industry. And we benefit as, a, as, as De- Delta Trey from that halo effect. You know, we are proving to the market that we are a big player. You know, we can pull the likes of Juventus, this, you know, top tier Italian football team. Um, we, we can get their chief commercial officer to mm-hmm. come and speak with us on the podcast about what he's seeing in the industry. Um, we can get SailGP, this amazing up and coming, um, you know, sailing, uh, uh, sailing league and federation to come and talk about how they're using technology to, uh, you know, reach a new, a new um, audience segment who previously had nothing to do with sailing, had never been on a boat. So yeah, we benefited from the halo effect there. And Jason, I'm wondering, well, first of all, I love the name, Feel to Fan. That's inc- I, I love that clever name and it makes it, it just brings it all together. I'm wondering, and perhaps this is something you're going to share with us. Obviously, you know, what, what I love what you said about the, what the podcast has enabled you to do is to get your clients to integrate with you and to be public about it, rather, you know, and, and the, the Herculean task that most B2B marketers face today is getting their clients to agree to a case study or a testimonial or a video. I know that even the likes of ours and our clients and our friends in the industry, we struggle with that. It's it's just part part and parcel of being in, in the space. Um, but I can imagine, and you've said as much, that trying to get these world-class sports leagues to share an endorsement with you, something that they would get millions of dollars from advertising partners, um, you know, without any remuneration from you. It's that's that's a Herculean task. So my question is this, um, as you're on the podcast with your clients, with these big world class leaders in, in the sports industry, have they said anything about their experience with Delta Trey on unprovoked? 
Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. And to be clear, you know, this is not a case of us trying to hoodwink anyone into uh, doing something they 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 don't want to do or they can't commercially do, right? You know, we don't do this in order to um, you know to get them talking about our our commercial relationship. That is absolutely not the intent. However, um, you know, there has been occasions when we have done episodes um, where you know, to to a high level degree, um, the the commercial relationship you know shared between the two clients has been disclosed in a very kind of comfortable and unprovoked way, mm-hmm. um, because sometimes you know when you're in situations where you're asking, you're making a formal request for a case study and for a testimonial, which is kind of being run up the flagpole to a legal team or you know someone who perhaps doesn't truly within the organization understand the mutual benefit um, in both companies having a public um, relationship with one another, um, things can get tied up. And, you know, when you're in the throes of delivering a project and, you know, things aren't, you know, going, uh, uh, you know, every project has project fires, you know, things that things are a little bit heated, you know, asking for that kind of permission can, can sometimes be used as leverage. But when you're in a kind of more comfortable discussion about the industry type of context where there is no pressure to go about and you know publicly disclose a relationship there have been instances and i've seen this with other companies uh, out in the market that um that that the nature of that relationship just is naturally you know revealed Mm -hmm. um but then you know we have an obligation um as a client, uh, sorry, uh, towards our clients, in order to give them the opportunity to listen to the podcast and to raise any red flags before it is published. You know, the last thing we want to do is, or the last thing anyone wants to do is, you know, cause anyone that, that's paying them to have a red face. Um, so, you know, we make it a standard practice that, you know, no no content, and this is beyond just podcasts, any, any content that is to do with our clients has to go through multiple rounds of reviews on both sides. And, you know, everything needs to be squared away um, before anything is published. And I think I think that's the right way of going about it. Absolutely. I'm glad that you shared that bit with us because I think that's very important Um, especially when you have such high profile clients, but really any client that is paying for you that that you're going to be putting something together and having their name associated with it. It's very important that they have that stamp of approval. So so good on you for for doing that extra due diligence, which I'm sure increases your production time just a little bit, but it is a necessary step. It, it it does increase the production time, but uh, you know I'd rather the production take an extra week or two um, and not have to kind of backtrack anything or you know explain to a higher up why something happened. You know we we have an obligation. Every marketer has an obligation to the people you know that they are looping in to, to into their content production to make sure everyone is comfortable. Um, before something goes out. So that review process is also something I carry out with my own personal podcast and newsletter. Mm-hmm. If I'm interviewing someone and, I, um, and, I, and, I, and I'm using one of their quotes, I want to make sure they're happy with that attribution um, before anything goes out. That relationship is too important to, uh, to tarnish. Absolutely. So I'd let, you know, the show is called Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. Um, so I'd love to ask, so you've been running this podcast for how long now? Uh, we've been running it since I'd say beginning of end of Q3 uh, of 2020, possibly a little earlier than that. So about nine months. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So what's been what's been the impact? Like what's been what's been the result of running this? What's it? What has it given you? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, the success of these kind of things depends on, you know, the lens through which you're, you're looking at them. We always set out with the podcast, with the ambition not to compete with the trade publications, um, editorial publications in our space, whose day job it is to create newsworthy content, right? Um, and they have the resources to to kind of facilitate that. So we're, we're not judging it on the number of listens we get. We're judging it on what caliber of clients can we get? Um, or, or, you know, sometimes not even clients, sometimes just, you know, interesting companies from the space who we would like to be clients um, at some point. So, so we judge it really on the caliber of guests that we're able to secure. Um, because as I said, you know, at the right, right at the beginning of this, developing that public relationship um, and benefiting from that kind of perceived halo effect is, is what's important to us. So looking at it through that lens, you know, as I mentioned, uh, we have had the likes of Juventus on the podcast, uh, Sale GP, Malaysia Basketball Association, and, you know, just just companies that are at the top of their game in their respective in their respective sports in geographically speaking a pretty broad range of of right owners and right holders from across the world and those are associations that prior to the podcast you know were, were difficult to come by um yeah. in the form of a conventional kind of case study white paper things like that so yeah if you're looking at it at the caliber of the guests that we've secured i'd, I'd say we've uh, we've had a pretty good run of it so far so talk about how are you able to sell this up to, you know, leadership? Of, that, hey, let's, let's start a podcast and we're going to measure it based on quality of guests. That was the question that was in my mind, actually. It was I was going to ask that very same thing and more about, I like Mike's angle, but I'd also like to see, Jason, if you can speak about the angle of, you, you touched on this earlier, you said, hey, we're kind of in a crowded space, right? There's there's the the sports teams themselves have a tremendous PR and press machine and social media. Then you have the trade publications. Then you have TV and you have Netflix and you have so you have all these very established mediums and and media that are putting out content related to your industry. So I'd love to know, like what Mike said, how did you sell this up and really flip the narrative with your leadership about hey, we're not going to measure necessarily sales attributed to this, but more so caliber of guests. And then also maybe if you could speak to if there was any um, friction on the fact that you're kind of entering a very crowded space already for this type of content. Yes, it's an interesting question. I would kind of say that the space isn't too crowded, um, at least when you're looking at it from the point of view of are any of our competitors doing this? And that's something that I feel quite passionate and strongly about, particularly with teams, you know, that are a little bit on the smaller side or perhaps, um, you know, having to, to, to kind of really consider their, their budget um, and, and resources, how they spend those. You know, you want to obviously be where your customers are with the content that you're creating. But I also think that there is huge value in being a big fish in a, in a small pond, you know, looking at channels where none of your competitors um, or contemporaries are creating any content. And there is a gap there. So yeah, you know, from, from a media point of view, there are a lot of uh, kind of trade podcasts that, that serve the sport and entertainment markets. That's true. But there are no podcasts out there that are being delivered by a company that can look under the hood of the sport media entertainment technology machine in a way that Delta Trey can. 
And I think that is quite a unique angle for us. So, you know, when we were pitching this idea to our leadership team and, and up to my boss, our chief brand officer, you know, I, I was trying to kind of convey this sense of there's a lot of content out there, but that's the same in every industry. You know, what there isn't at the moment is a podcast that's being delivered by a a company like Delta Tray that can that has such a unique view on the industry just by virtue of who it's working with and the types of products and services it's delivering. And there's an opportunity there. When a client is talking to a trade publication, typically, you know, they're looking at it from a very kind of high level strategic point of view to to kind of, you know, justify their decision making. As a technology company, we're we're able to kind of go a little bit more into the weeds and perhaps get a, a slightly more authentic interview than a well-versed executive um, from their PR team is is perhaps giving to 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 some of the journalists in the industry where they've got to watch what they say. So when we were pitching it to our leadership team, it was a case of, you know, this is a new channel. It's it's worth exploring by virtue of that we're not going to have too much competition from from our competitors and that no one else is doing the podcast. And also let's start small. You know, like. I think we got a little bit hung up at the beginning that we we were talking about getting a professional studio and hiring a professional get a professional presenter um, and really kind of going you know full hog on on making it a professional production. Um, COVID hit, so then we weren't able to go into a professional studio, and we just thought, you know what, it is better to get something out than nothing out. And if that means that Jason's got to get up and do the presenting, um, then so be it. And <laughs> so, so far, it's turned out okay. And you know, we were able to get four or five episodes under our belt on a very minimum budget with you know relatively minimal effort. It was just a case of reaching out to some clients and partners with questions, um, getting on the phone for an hour, recording it, you know, putting a sting on either side and publishing it. And we were able to turn around and say, you know what, we were able to get you know four or five clients that otherwise didn't want to uh or you know partners or, or companies that we want to work with that otherwise wouldn't have done anything with us to speak with us on the podcast um and that's that's a win for us so i'm kind of curious whether your background in uh theater and journalism had uh how, helped you sort of get into the the podcast host uh chair if you will <laughs> um yeah you know i i studied theater that was my university degree um, cost me a cool 30 grand for the certificate that hangs on my wall. And I often, I often try and, uh, I often try and find the, the kind of the strings of justification, you know, of why it was worthwhile. Um, well, you're from, welcome. Here's another one. Yeah, here's another one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I met my wife during my, my, my degree. So that, that's, that's always my kind of trump card, um, whenever I think of, was it worth it? But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I like to say that all marketers should take an improv class because I feel a lot of the skills that you pick up from performance can carry over um, and be transferable into into a marketing career. You know, sadly, I don't perform anymore, but I look back at my at my degree and and you know the time I spent acting and directing and all that kind of stuff, and it taught me to, you know, be scrappy and be resilient and confident you know I, I remember doing kind of one-man shows in front of like 150 people and you know if you can do that you can get up in front of a a c-suite and say look i've got an idea and you know we there's there's a reason for us to try it and um you know i'll do it on a low budget and here is what i expect to get out of it and i'm going to show you some results and if i don't i've got a hundred other ideas um that we could we could pursue so so yeah i think i think every every marketer would benefit from um dipping their toes into performance in some way or another and as shakes everybody listening 
Time for an improv yeah. class. Right. And yeah. as Shakespeare said, to be or not to be, right? I mean, That's he it. said it best. So yeah. I, I love that. Well, I have one more question before we move on to getting to the point. And we'll talk a little bit specifically about how you did it. Um, but I'm just curious, was there was there something that you learned about doing this? You, you mentioned that you started the podcast during the pandemic, so during lockdown, it was on a on a you know shoestring budget, very modest budget. What was something that you learned that you weren't expecting to learn about podcasting or something unexpected that came about that sort of opened your eyes to what you were doing? Hmm. That's a good question. I think um I think, you know, depending on how you like to prepare for these things, um, one, one, you know, when, when I kind of went into doing the podcast, and this is the same with my own podcast, you know, B2B Better, I like to go in very prepared. Um, and it was the same back in my acting days. You know, I would make copious notes on scripts um, and, you know, go over lines over and over and over and over again. I wanted to know exactly what I wanted to say before I got up on stage. And it was the same with the podcast. You know, I'd write... 20 questions and then each question would have maybe three or four sub questions um that you know that i'm trying to think like every avenue that this conversation could go down so i was prepared and what i ended up finding was that actually having a guideline of what you want to talk about is incredibly important but you've just got to let the conversation flow um, and that's what it's got to be. It's got the best podcasts, in my opinion, are the ones that are more conversational. And, you know, they have a structure because, you know, without structure, it's chaos. But you're just, you're you're letting the conversation flow in the way it wants to flow. And, and it's okay if it goes off in a new, unexpected, exciting direction. Don't try and force it back onto the road that you've tried to pay for yourself if it doesn't naturally come back anyway just mm -hmm. let it play out and you know the content that you uh that you get at the end will be great and if it doesn't you'll fix it in post <laughs> well this is podcasting gold right here so everybody listening you've heard it first from jason bradwell it's about the conversation it's about the flow and really at the end of the day what you're saying is don't over prepare right be prepared but don't be over prepared let your guests do the talking um and i'm saying and i'm saying this as i'm doing the talking here but but i wanted to reiterate that great point well now it's the part of the show that we're going to ask you to get to the point jason so here in the united states now i don't know if this um particular idiom translates into British culture, but we have this saying that there are many ways to skin a cat, meaning there's many ways to get to the to the point. And, and mm. while we are not a, a podcast about podcasting, uh, this episode in particular is about what you did um, to bring value to your company in the form of a podcast. So we'd love to know, if you would, to get to the point on how did you create your podcast from field to fan? Field fan. And to add to that also is how did you promote it? How did you get it out there both in front of listeners and prospective guests? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a fair it was a fairly straightforward process. Like like I said you know a moment ago, I think podcasts can be very well high and highly produced um, pieces of content where you know you get professional grade recording equipment, editing equipment. You build the booth around you that's going to, you know, make the audio quality crystal clear um, and optimized. And, you know, we just found ourselves in a situation where we just weren't able to, to do that. You know, particularly it was a new idea. It was a fairly 
obscure idea for, for B2B companies of our type and in our industry. Um, and we didn't want to go out and make a huge investment and then, you know, see that, see that wasted. We wanted to validate the idea first. Um, so, you know, it simply was a case of getting a couple of microphones for, for me and um, our producer, a guy called Marco on our team, um, actually the, the microphone I'm recording on now. And we, we simply recorded on Zoom for, for a while um, and we're able to kind of split the audio tracks. Um, we use to edit it, we use, I believe, I believe we use GarageBand to pull it together. I'm fortunate that one of my colleagues actually does that part. I focus on the interview and, and he focuses on the on the kind of editing and pulling it together. But we simply use GarageBand, which is obviously, you know, free software with every, uh, every Mac and MacBook. And uh, we distribute it via Buzzsprout, I think is our hosting platform, um, which is where, you know, you plug in the episode and it just, you know, once you publish it, it fires out to all of the directories, Apple, Spotify, Google, um, iHeartRadio, Amazon, et cetera. So it's a pretty lean operation, you know, and that does not require that much kind of maintenance or cost, which is, which is super important um, for us. In terms of how we promote it, you know, we're, we're big advocates. I'm a big advocate as well of kind of repurposing content, particularly kind of what, what I consider to be hero content, where we are spending a fair deal of time and energy and pulling together, you know, a kind of central asset. So, you know, we get the podcast once it's completed, we share it with our clients um, and our sales team so that they can distribute it across their own personal channels. We publish it across across Delta Trade's brand channels, as you'd expect, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, we put it on our blog. But then, you know, we look at what can we do with that that asset, right, to make it work a little bit harder for us. Um, and I love podcasts because they just naturally lend themselves to being kind of cut up, sliced and diced and used in different ways. You can You can export the transcript. There are tools like Zoom does that. Zoom will publish a transcript for you if you record if you record the uh, you know your, your your video call. Um, but there are other tools like Trint T R I N T that you can also throw an audio file into, and that will that will um, pump out a pump out a transcript. And with a little bit of work, that can be made into a blog post. Um, if anything, it can just you throw some timestamps on there, and um, you know you've got you've got a ready made piece of content. Then you can also cut up specific. Uh, audio clips, Buzzsprout, the hosting platform I mentioned has this as a feature, you know, you can within the tool, um, pick, uh, you know, between you know, a 60 second snippet, which then it will cut for you and it will put on a kind of a tile for you that you can then publish on social media. So yeah, you know, there's lots of great ways that you can, you can kind of slice and dice this kind of one audio asset, throw it on your YouTube channel, um, that just make it work harder for you than just creating it, publishing it once and, and then letting it you know, fall to the wayside there. Are you doing any, or have you done any paid promotion for it? We haven't done any paid promotion of it yet. No. Um, to be honest, we, we, we spend a lot of time trying to build up our organic audience. Um, and we're pretty selective in kind of where we are, you know, putting paid advertising when we do do it, it's primarily on your kind of bottom of the funnel, high intent pieces of content. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we, we kind of publish it just organically across, across our channels. And Jason, I don't know if this is, uh, hopefully this is a question you can answer. From the podcast, which you've now been recording for about nine months, has it uh, allowed your company to secure any new any new clients or, or, or at least get in front of some leads that were maybe had gone cold or prospects that were not engaged? Has there been any impact to, let's say, as we say here, impact to the bottom line? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
I wouldn't be able to disclose, obviously, if we if we've secured any specific clients off the back of it. But I can give you um, I can give you a story that talks a little bit to this to this point. Events have always been the spine of our marketing strategy. Um, we are a company like many in our space that operate across long sales cycles, and getting that kind of face to face opportunity with our clients is always important. And you know, twenty twenty put a put a break on that like a tip for everybody so we worked with a lot of our regular event partners last year um, on digital equivalent events and uh, there was one event who you know approached us and they said we've got a novel idea for you we're gonna we want to run an, a pop-up channel um, that you will own that will run alongside the main agenda of of our event of our digital event it's two and a half three and a half hours worth of time fill it with whatever you want you know, we will do all the kind of promotion. Um, we'll host it on our platform. You know, you'll be sitting on the agenda. We'll publish it on social and all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll do the promotion. But in terms of actually the content itself, it's that's on you. You fill that time with whatever you've got. And we were daunted, I'll be honest, by by the prospect. You know, we, we didn't have to do it, but we but we took it on because we thought it was an interesting challenge. Because you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, it's hard enough getting one client to agree to to do something with you trying to get um, multiple clients to fill three and a half hours worth of time is, is another, another problem entirely, but we took it on. And I'd say that due to the fact that we had already established the podcast and had built relationships, for, you know, we was in within marketing had built relationships with, you know, these, these individuals within our industry that the industry wanted to hear from, we were in a much stronger position to approach them and say, hey, you know, you came on the podcast or we've been talking about the podcast. You seem up for it. How about you come and, you know, you, you run a session with us uh, on this pop-up channel for, for half an hour or so. And credit and kudos to, to my team who were absolutely central to pulling this all together. You know, we, we'd managed to fix the agenda within about two weeks which was unheard of for that kind of thing for us in the past because we had built those relationships, I'd say, through the podcast. Um, off the back of that event, we were able to net, you know, 100 or so, you know, high-quality premium leads of people who had tuned in to, you know, watch our, our kind of sessions um, as part of that pop-up event. And then because we had made the content and we owned the content, we repurposed some of it and we made them into podcast episodes for our podcast. So we just ripped the audio. Um, I did a short little kind of intro outro where I was like, you know, this is the audio from this this interview I did um, at this event. And, you know, now it's in podcast form and we've just picked the best parts. And there you go, another piece of content um, that's been reused and repurposed. So, yeah, it was kind of like a self, self-fulfilling self uh, wheel. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. That's awesome because I think that's the one thing that people – often forget is everybody's so focused on the lead aspect where the the process of this is a framework and a, and a place to create and build those relationships that can, yes, it can lead to business, but can also lead to more and better content, which then leads to business, right? So yes, it's obviously good luck with the attribution of that one, but then on the other side, it's there's no way you would have gotten it, it sounds like, without having have this built up equity in the space yeah absolutely i think equity is the is the totally the right word and, and you know within our team we talk a lot about building up brand equity and this attribution question is always one that inevitably will come up you know how is what you're doing here 
hitting the bottom line at some point in the future. And I think the smart B2B brands today are the ones that are saying, well, you know what, there are kind of two parts of, of the marketing, um, part of the marketing function. One is demand generation and capitalizing on that in-market demand today. And another is brand building, which is not going to necessarily deliver financial revenue results today, but over the long term are going to be is going to allow you to capitalize on out of market demand today. It's going to allow you to increase your pricing power. It's going to help you recruit better talent. It's going to, um, you know, give you potentially better exit strength. You know, if that's kind of the way the business is going. So, you know. With things like podcasts, um, if you have a company that is receptive to this argument and this idea, I'd be pitching it as, look, we may not be able to prove that, you know, after doing a podcast episode next week, we've got X amount of business off it, but it's us investing in our brand equity um, for the long term. I love you, that Do you answer. track anything like even as simple as um, like pre and post, pre-podcast launch to now like impact on brand search traffic or anything like that? And have you seen any impact on that? No, I'll be honest, we haven't. Um, you know, this has been a fairly kind of scrappy project amongst many scrappy projects. Um, you know, 2020 meant that we had to, like a lot of enterprise B2B companies that do rely on events, you know, reevaluate our approach to marketing and adopt more of a, a digital first approach. So, um, to answer that specific question, no, but it is something that we are considering um, moving forward as we build out our digital ecosystem. Yes, awesome. wonderful. Well, I love, I, I think for me, I love that what you just described, which is really, you know, the, the two part, the two sides of the marketing coin, you have the demand side, and then you have sort of the brand, and I would maybe even add the goodwill side of the company, you know, what are you doing to show your brand, so the goodwill um, besides demand, 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 demand. So I, I love that. It sounds like this podcast has allowed you to to do both of those things. Um, maybe one indirectly, one more directly, and over time the coin will continue to toss and turn as the as the podcast gets more listeners and as you bring on more more guests and more high powered guests, and most importantly the kinds of guests that. You would like to eventually do business with, but the most important thing that I think you you said is is this idea of goodwill and and showing the brand and doing it in a way that, as you referenced earlier in, on the call, um, that puts your clients and your prospects in the best light possible and doing it with their best intentions in mind. And I think also one thing that you said, Jason, that is very key to podcasting is that you were very specific on your intent when you, you started. And it was really about highlighting your partners, highlighting people and, and, and giving them a platform to show off kind of their stuff and really minimizing in the background Delta Trey. But Nevertheless, it's always sort of this thread that's carried throughout. So thank you so much for this enlightening conversation and what you've done and how you broke it down. You've showed us the proof. You took us to the point. I think it's now time for our lightning round. What do you say, Mike? I think that sounds about right. I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> <laughs> these shouldn't be. Uh, these will be fun. Okay. What's your blood type? Uh, I have no idea. What's that? Don't ask. What's your blood type? I have no <laughs> idea. You know what? You would have gotten me on that one too. I don't know. Let's kick this off. So uh, what's the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? 
Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think it for you know for us it's it's marketing qualified leads um, because at the end of the day you know marketing is there to help deliver revenue. So yeah, I'd go with marketing qualified leads in our in our case. What's a new marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking forward to testing out this year? Clubhouse. Clubhouse, yeah. I think I think uh, I wrote a piece about this last couple of weeks ago. I think there is a lot of opportunity potentially in Clubhouse, but maybe more Twitter Spaces when that rolls out um, mm. uh, more more wild, widely across across the platform. But I mean, as marketers, what more could you want in terms of a, a way to have an authentic, real conversation with with your customers in your market than than something like Clubhouse or uh, or Twitter Spaces? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we actually, we're, we're Android users over here. We purchased a, an iPad just to be able to get on the Clubhouse. We have not actually taken advantage of that just yet. We, <laughs> we got to get on that. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what's your least favorite business word or phrase? Ooh, move the needle. <laughs> and I say it so often. And that's what really annoys me. Like, I really, I really don't like it as a phrase. I just think it sounds very... Wall Streety kind of like um, you know Wolf of Wall Street type thing and 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 yeah I really don't like it but I have on occasion let it slip out of my mouth in, mm. in conversation. I think we've all been there for sure. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like when you're saying something and you're just like, the best way to describe this right now is move the needle, and I don't want to say it, but I can't think of anything else quick enough. So ah, move the needle, move the needle. I guess <laughs> it's kind of like the word synergy. Every once in a while, it pops out. And you're like, oh god, I just, I just had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> um okay what is your favorite podcast oh man um my favorite podcast is you know there's a there's a great podcast which is a little you know it's it's to do with marketing um but uh not b2b necessarily called making the brand um by brianne fleming who is uh a great community builder on twitter i believe she is a lecturer at the university of florida and her whole thing is you know the convergence of pop culture um, and and marketing, and you know she's a nineties nineties kid like like me, and um, uses a lot of the amazing kind of pop culture references from that era to teach marketing lessons. And uh, I just love I love what she does on her podcast and and on Twitter and a newsletter and everything she does. I think it's great. That sounds awesome. that sounds like a fun one. Yeah. So as a former theater major, as a theater major. Yes. What is your favorite Shakespearean play? Julius Caesar. Mm, that's not yeah. one you hear quite often. No, Julius Caesar. I've always been fascinated with kind of ancient Rome and ancient Greece as just a historical period. Um, and I was fortunate in my um, uh, d- during my degree to be given the opportunity to direct Julius Caesar um, at the uh, the theater in, in Winchester. And it was my first ever opportunity to kind of run something mm. like as the leader. And I put my heart and soul into it. And, uh, two of my lead actors were given awards off the back of it, which made me feel really proud. And wow. both of them actually have gone on to, you know, become full-time professional performers um now i'm not attributing what they did for julius caesar <laughs> like that's why they're doing it because they're phenomenal in their own rights but um yeah uh, you know f- from from the time period that it talks about the story of julius caesar i think is is fantastic um and the fact that it was my first real professional production that i was in charge of it's got a special play in my heart place do in my you heart. can you give us a line or two from julius caesar 
Yeah, the most famous one is Etu Boutet. So mm. when Julius Caesar has unfortunately been taken out by all of the uh, the kind of the senators of the day, um, and his best friend Brutus, Brutus. yeah, yeah uh, has been the ringleader. That was you know a very emotional and compelling part of the production for us because obviously it's like the culmination of the betrayal. Um, so yeah, Etu Boutet is a is is a, is a famous one. Absolutely. All right, I had another. I had another one. To, that's sort of a bonus question, uh, but then I'll let I'll let you get back on the track, Mike. Uh, who is your favorite British band or musician? Oh man, um, you caught me here because you know it sounds bad, but I'm just not too much into music. Um, okay. But I do. I, I can think of someone. So like. Um, I do like music. That that's incorrect. I just don't have like a particular taste. You know, I have one playlist in Spotify called my ultimate playlist, which is just songs <laughs> that I like, and I just listen to them over and over and over again. Um, and every time yeah, I try I and deviate, <laughs> yeah, like movies and TV is more my thing. Like whenever I deviate from that ultimate playlist, I just I can't get into it, and I end up going back. But the first concert I ever went to was a band called the Hoosiers, who were a mm. British band. They sang Goodbye, Mr. A, I think was their most famous one. And opening for them was an Irish band called The Script. Uh, and, you know, we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day, so that's kind of that's kind of interesting. And then I ended up going to see 10 years later with my now wife, I went to go see The Script at the same place that I saw my first concert. And, you know, that was quite, that was quite special. So they're just a kind of an Irish indie kind of rock band. They've had a couple of couple of top 10 hits i think here in the uk and maybe in the us but um yeah they're, they're, I, I like them well i guess let's let's round this off so uh going back to the business and marketing stuff uh what is your favorite business or marketing book my favorite business or marketing book i mean everyone there's a couple that I'll just reel off really quickly. So, you know, every, everyone references building a story brand by donald um, miller and i think you know that it is it is good. Sometimes I think it is over recommended, but it, it is good. I think particularly for companies like Delta Trade, which are quite complex in the sense of, you know, we're we're a big company across a lot of different verticals within our industry, um, and we need to find a way to kind of distill that story down into a coherent, understandable message. It definitely helped in that regard. Uh, there's a new book that I was reading recently called Junior by Tom K something Tom, Tom K something. Um, I'll send I'll send over a link if if you want to if you want to reference it maybe, um, and it's just a really kind of interesting look on you know copywriting and and within the kind of advertising industry from a junior's perspective. You know you see a lot of kind of these agency esque books that are written by you know professionals at the top of their career. They've climbed the ladder and you know they're distilling years of wisdom into a book. You know Tom um, took it from the other way of like coming into that industry and into that field you know what can you what can you expect you know what are some tips and tricks to get ahead um and you know just preparing you to eat dirt for, for a while um <laughs> so that was a really good one and then one i picked up which i haven't finished yet so i will withhold my full endorsement right now but i've enjoyed what i've seen so far is the choice paradox no sorry the choice factory um which is 25 bite-sized chapters on why people make decisions in terms of what they're buying and how they're and how they act in that in that context um and what i like about it is it's just short and it's to the point each chapter is only like three or four pages long and you know 
I think sometimes I read these kind of marketing books and it kind of goes in one eye and comes out the other, but because it's so concise and to the point and focused, I find it, you know, it imprints, it imprints better. So yeah, very, very kind of accessible look into kind of consumer psychology. Wonderful. Well, The Choice Paradox also sounds like a good book, whether it exists or not. It is a good book. It's it, a real it, book. And is it real? It was written. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't remember the name, but it's uh, pretty much it, it references a number of studies and whatnot about sort of how too much choice is a bad thing, pretty much. Yeah. The, the main premise, paradox right? of choice. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So there's another one to add oh, to yeah, your list, Jason. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a long list, I tell you. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We've loved getting to know the case study, the podcast, learning more about the unique uh, experience that Delta Trey offers to sports fans across the world and specifically um, what you're doing at Delta Trey and what you've done to really advance both the revenue side of marketing and the brand side of marketing at the company. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate first, you know, you guys inviting me onto the podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I love the way that you kind of set up the sections of the podcast. It you know keeps things really focused and I've really enjoyed talking to you. And also I'll just, you know, I don't want it to come across like it's just me doing all of this. I've got a phenomenal team of nine other amazing individuals that are helping making all this happen. Um, and I'm very proud to work with them. In order to reach me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell. I'm also on LinkedIn. And yeah, you mentioned at the beginning, but I host my own B2B podcast called B2B Better, where I interview kind of marketing leaders on a variety of different topics and try and break it down into you know, kind of accessible, fun-sized chunks. And also I write a weekly newsletter um, that covers a lot of the same topics called the B2B bite. So uh, yeah, but Twitter is where I spend a lot too much of my time. So if you <laughs> want to reach me, that's probably the best place to get me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, our listeners are going to have wonderful ways to follow you and get to know you and continue the dialogue with you on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and on both your podcasts, as well as the newsletter. So thank you so much, Jason. We've very much enjoyed having you on the show as well. This podcast is brought to you by Proofpoint Marketing. We believe marketing means nothing if it doesn't help you achieve stronger business outcomes. And here at Proofpoint, we like to say that the proof is in the pudding. If you're in need of some sweet, sweet digital marketing pudding, then it's time to partner with a high-performing team of revenue marketers who don't just tout tactics, but prove them. And until next time, we'll see you same place, same time here at Show Me the Proof. Get to the point. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the ProofPoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.